Great. Well, in uh, 1736, none of you were quite alive at that point, I hope, but John and Charles Wesley were headed on an Anglican missionary trip to Georgia from England. There they are, these two beautiful-looking young men. Um, When they encountered a terrible storm in the Atlantic, as the storm began to develop, those on board realized that they were in danger of being shipwrecked. However, as most of the people on board panicked for their lives, John Wesley couldn't help notice the peace that a Protestant community from Germany called the Moravians displayed. In the midst of this brutal storm, he was awestruck by the fact that they were hosting a worship service, praising God with great intensity. On January the 25th, this is what John Wesley wrote in his diary. In the midst of the psalm, wherewith the service began, the sea broke over, split the main sail in pieces, covered the ship, and poured in between the decks, as if the great deep had already swallowed us up. A terrible screaming began among the English. Sorry. The Germans, however, calmly sung on. I asked one of them afterwards, were you not afraid? He answered, I thank God, no. I asked, but were you and your children not afraid? He replied mildly, no, our women and ourselves and our children are not afraid to die. The storm was boisterous, but the Moravians just kept praising God until finally it subsided. Over the years that followed in America, the Wesleys continued to wrestle with how peaceful and joyful the Moravians had been. But it was not until they returned to England in 1738 that John found the very thing he'd been praying for. He wrote in his diary, On Wednesday, May 24th, in the evening, I went very unwillingly to a Moravian meeting in Aldersgate Street, London, where one was reading Luther's preface to the Epistles to the Romans. About a quarter to nine, while he was describing the change which God works in the heart of a man through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed, i.e. I encountered the Holy Spirit. I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation. And I felt the assurance was given to me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the laws of sin and of death. Of course, the Wesleys went on to start one of the greatest church movements of the last 500 years, the Methodist movement, which went to the far ends of the world. But they say it started for them on a ship in the middle of a storm in the Atlantic Ocean. Well, long before um, they encountered a storm in the Atlantic, another group of people also encountered a storm. 1,700 years prior to that, the first disciples of Jesus found themselves in the midst of a storm. And we're going to see this morning how God invites us to meet him in the storms, how we can actually survive, if not even thrive, when life throws us a storm. So we're going to get our reading for this morning. Margaret is going to bring it to us. Uh, Luke chapter 8. Verses 22 to 25, Luke 8, 22 to 25. If you've got your Bibles, that'd be great. Otherwise, it'll be on the screen. Luke chapter 8, verse 22 to 25. One day, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped, and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided, and all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, Who is this? 
He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. This is the word of the Lord. So in northeast Israel is what is called the Sea of Galilee. Uh, It's a slightly confusing title because it's not a sea at all. It's a lake, and it's actually 680 feet below sea level. It's the lowest lying lake in sea, a freshwater lake in the world. Um, It's a lake which appears time and time and again throughout the Gospels because Jesus' ministry is all throughout the region around the lake. Four of the first 12 disciples were fishermen on that lake. Many of the others, if not all of the others, would have grown up on the boats and on the beaches and around um, that area. But something about this lake is quite unique because it is surrounded by high mountains. In fact, just to the north of the Sea of Galilee is Mount Hermon, which is a 9,200-foot peak. And what that means is that within a short space, like here to the top of Mount Wilson, you have a drop, which is double the height of here to the top of Mount Wilson. And because of that, when the cold air passes over the top of the mountains and meets the warm air over the water, the potential is for huge storms. And so sure enough, one day, Jesus invites his disciples to take a trip across Lake of Galilee. Maybe he'd been in a boat like this, a fishing vessel. And as they're out, right in the middle of the lake, suddenly, it says a squall comes upon the vessel. Matthew's gospel says it's, it's like a, a shaking of the boat that happened. Luke actually describes it as a lapse, which is a whirlwind or a tornado that ripped across the lake toward the boat. This wasn't like mild turbulence on the plane or something a little unpleasant to make you feel seasick. This was life-threatening situation. And you can imagine the picture on the vessel, I think, you know, like they're all running around madly panicking. Like one of them's got the the tiller, one of them's got the, the oars, one of them's trimming the sails, the other ones are like bailing out. They're just doing everything they can possibly do to stop the boat going down. But they can't. They can't, and they realize that their lives are in danger. The storm is going to overtake them. They're going to die if nothing changes. And you can imagine this sense of fear, this sense of panic on the boat. Now, if you look up the word fear in the dictionary, it tells you that fear is a a thing that alerts us to the presence of danger or the threat of harm, whether that danger is physical or psychological. And of course, fear is really important. in that fear gets us moving, it gets us to act, it stops us staying still. But in this case, as we're going to see this morning, fear is actually a really big problem. Because what fear does is it stops the disciples realizing that the answer to all their problems, the solution to their crisis, is right there, right with them in the boat. So the disciples are panicking, they're losing it, there's fear, there's anxiety, they're all over the place. And yet, Right in the back of this boat, not a very big boat, is Jesus. In Jesus. And he's, he's just sleeping. He's sleeping on a cushion. Like when I read this this last couple of weeks, I suddenly thought this, this was the kind of image that I had in my mind of what it must have been like on the boat. Watch this video, little video. <laughs> have you ever seen one of those videos where someone's like sleeping on one of those rides? I, I couldn't find one. Anyway, that'll do. Thank you. I don't know where that roller coaster is, by the way, but it actually goes over the top in case you really want a good ride. Anyway, 
It says, it says in verse 38, Jesus was in the stern, that's the back of the boat, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? Don't you care if we drown? Jesus does two things. The first one he does is he says he got up, got up in the midst of the storm in the back of the boat. And he rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. The language that's used there, that word for rebuke, is literally like a a, a parent talking to their children. He stood up in the boat and he said, stop it. Stop it. Just sit down. Be quiet. Stop messing around. Get down. And the storm, it says, turned to mega calm, which means literally a glass it became completely still. And the disciples are kind of like, create, like losing their mind for another reason at this point. Because up until this place in Luke's gospel, they've seen Jesus heal. They've seen Jesus do miracles. They've seen amazing things happen. They've seen lives be transformed. But they've never seen this. And the this that they're experiencing is something that was agreed upon throughout the whole of the ancient world. Was that nobody could control nature except God. Nobody. Nobody could do it. And you notice what Jesus does. He doesn't say, dear God, would you stop this storm? He doesn't say that. He, in his own authority, speaks to the storm and says, shut up and sit down. In fact, theologians tell us this is one of the greatest examples of Jesus's divinity, his his being God that we see anywhere in the Bible, because he has complete control over the elements. But something else happens as well. Jesus goes on, he turns to the disciples and he says to them these words, where is your faith? Where's your faith? Now, to me, that seems just a little bit harsh. It's like, Jesus, these guys are going through panic. The boat's going down, it's traumatic. They're probably like fearing for their lives. And yet Jesus doesn't say, there, there, it's okay, everybody. It's gonna be all right, I'll sort it out. He doesn't, he says to them, he says, guys, what's going on? What's going on? Like, here's the thing, guys. Up until this point, you have been running around madly. You've been trying to fix the storm. You've been trying to use your macho, your ego, or your skills, or your experience, and all your talent, and everything you think you know. You've been trying to fix it all on your own. And only now, when everything else is lost, when the boat is going down, when you know that there's no other option available to you, only now do you come to me, and you're angry. And you're angry with me because I haven't done anything yet. You're angry with me because I haven't acted. You're acted angry with me because I've taken you out in the middle of this lake. But guys, not once have you spoken to me. Not once have you asked me. Not once have you woken me up and asked if I could do something about the storm. Where is your faith? Where's your trust? Who are you hoping in? As I read this a couple of weeks ago, I, I, just, like, I read it and I just had to stop because I was like, oh God. That's me. That's me. How easy is it for that to be our story too? That when the storms of life comes, we go to God not first, but we go after everything else has failed. I I was thinking about this and thinking, you know, gosh, we all face storms, don't we? You only have to live on the planet for a short while to know that life can be kind of stormy. They might not be. the weather storms, maybe they're financial storms, health crises, bereavement, losses of jobs, relationships that break down. 
Storms happen simply because we live in a broken world where things are not perfect, where things are not ideal, where things are not perfection. Things are broken out there. And sometimes we experience that things are a bit broken in our own lives as well. And that can feel scary, right? I mean, it can feel very isolating. It can feel very lonely when we find ourselves in the middle of a storm. Um, this last week, I got to, got to head to the UK just for a few days and um, got to hang out with some buddies. We do, we're trying to do it every year who I studied at seminary and we hear the stories of what God's been doing. We pray for each other and sometimes the stormy conditions that we, we minister in. Um, but I got back on, on Friday afternoon into LAX. And you know, whenever you, if you've ever done that, you land at LAX and you're just praying that the immigration line is going to be kind of small. You pray that your bags are going to be there. And then once you're out the door, you pray that you're going to find your car or be able to get back. And so I sort of, on Friday afternoon, started driving back across the city. And, and I love um, driving back to this side of town because you get to a certain point when you start to be able to see the mountains, right? If, the, if it's a clear day. And there's just something so incredibly beautiful and reassuring about the mountains. Um, this picture up here is actually the view out of my, my window of my office up on the top floor of this building. Uh, for some reason, uh, they only decided to put windows that you can see out of on like three windows in the whole of the top floor of the building. But they're the ones that point at the mountain. And every day I get this beautiful opportunity to look at them. It just, just reassures me. You know, if you're moving around LA, I don't know if you do this, but I, I like often I'm like, I don't know where I'm going. Okay, but I live over there. Like I live under the back. I live under that one. If I just point in that direction, I'll, I'll probably get back home. It's just something really reassuring. But a couple of weeks ago, um, if you remember, they had we had that big storm in Southern California. I mean, I say a big storm. Anyone else in the world would have called it a mild, like, drizzle. Um, <laughs> but we felt like it was a big storm. And and I looked out of my office window, and then suddenly I realised that like that was my view. Like the mountain had disappeared. <laughs> Where's the mountain gone? It was actually a bit scary. It was a bit eerie because it felt like I was all on my own. That big thing had, had gone. Now, of course, it's not true to say that the mountain had gone anywhere. The mountain hadn't moved even one inch, but the storm had descended and I couldn't see it anymore. And it strikes me that when we face the storms of life, so often what can happen is that actually the storm clouds our vision of Jesus. That when the storm comes in our life, instead of turning us toward Jesus, what happens is that we panic in the middle of the storm and we think that we're all on our own. And we forget that the mountain, the solid, the immovable, the beautiful, the powerful is right, right there with us. In 2008, I, um, I've told you this story before, so sorry if you've heard it many times, but I had this incredible privilege of leading a, a growing business. I always dreamt of working with cars, and I was running this business in the automotive sector, and it was doing kind of well. And we had these staff and these employers and these employees in this office, and suddenly like the, the financial crisis hit, and you know, the world just kind of shut down my industry, just completely overnight, stopped making cars, stopped selling cars, stopped doing anything. And suddenly I had a business which was not making money at all. It was losing money rapidly. We were right at the end, this danger of, of going out of business. And every morning I'd get up in the middle of what felt like a horrendous storm and I would get in my car and I would drive down to my office like with this just anxiety, with this fear. And I thought, okay, well, how am I going to get out of this? And for months I would, I would fight. And I thought, I'm, I'm going to fight this thing. And I would like, I'm going to work harder 
I'm going to work faster. I'm going to do more hours. I'm going to bring in better people. You know, we're going to innovate more. And I just kept going and going for probably three, four, five, six months until finally one day I realized like, oh no, that's the end. Like, there's nothing else. There's no more money. There's no way out of this. And I remember getting in the car in the morning and just as if I was about to head down to the office and suddenly having to say to, to God, and I think it was probably the first time I'd spoken to him properly in months, oh, Jesus, I'm done. Jesus, where are you? Jesus, would you do something right now? And it, and it was a, a really surreal moment because it was almost in that exact moment that this peace suddenly descended in the car. The presence of Jesus was right there. It was like my heart was strangely warmed, as John Wesley said. And right there in the moment, it was like God saying, I've been here the whole time, Ben. I've been here the whole time. I've been right here with you. But, but I've been waiting. I've been waiting. I've been waiting for you to just say a word to me. Just to ask a question of me. To bring me your doubts and your fear. I've been waiting to speak to you. Because I've got so much that I want to do with you, Ben. And you know, it wasn't like the storm suddenly disappeared that day. But it was the bottom. And in the weeks and the months that came, Jesus brought incredible blessing and transformation and brought solutions to my life and my business and my health that I'd never even thought of before, that I had no ability to think of. Like God poured out blessing, but it took getting to that moment. But I wonder what you do uh, in storms. I wonder how you, f- you fare. Maybe, maybe like me, you're a bit of a fighter. You actually like a good storm. I'm, I'm game for storms because it gives me an opportunity to prove myself, to prove I'm fast enough, to strong enough, prove that I'm better than the people around me. Like I'm always up for a challenge. And you work and you do everything that you can to try and outrun the storm, to beat the storm. Maybe you're not as crazy as me. Maybe when the storm comes, you turn to the people around you. You look for people to speak into your storm. Maybe it's family members, maybe it's parents, maybe it's colleagues, maybe it's experts, maybe increasingly today it's Google or Amazon or Alexa or Siri or like something or someone who can answer the questions of your storm. Maybe you do neither of those things. Maybe you are a runner. I have a daughter who is a runner. Maybe you're a runner. When the storm comes, you're like, I'm out of here. Let's just get me out. I'm turning. I'm going. I'm as far away from here as I can get. Or maybe you're the one who puts your head in the sand. Like the storm's coming. It's not here. Like I'm I'm down. I'm under the covers. I'm going to wait. The storm's not really going to affect me. Now, don't get me wrong. Like any one of those could be a correct response in a particular situation. There's nothing wrong with getting advice. Of course, there's nothing wrong with working hard. But the problem in those instances is always the same as what the disciples faced, is that none of those responses sometimes include Jesus. None of those responses include Jesus. Instead, what we do is we run under our own strength. We run under the strength of those around us, or we try not to do anything at all, and we miss the possibility of the beautiful things that Jesus wants to do. We lose our eyes on Jesus. We lose, we lose that sight that we have of the one who flung stars into space. See, the invitation that Jesus gives to these disciples is really clear. In the storms, will you fix your eyes on me? Will you fix your eyes on me? Not as the last thing, 
when everything else is broken and you ran out of strength or people or resources, but right at the beginning where you fix your eyes on me. Because, you know, Isaiah says, when you pass, God, God promises this to the Israelites, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. I will be with you. You know, we can get so overwhelmed by storms, can't we? We can feel like they are literally everything to us. They paralyze us. They do whatever they can to us. But actually, we realize as we fix our eyes on Jesus that storms aren't actually the be-all and the end-all of life. I mean, storms are problems. We know that. There's nothing in this passage where Jesus doesn't imply that this is not a deadly storm that requires some attention. But when we fix our eyes on Jesus, we actually get to move past the problem of the storm and into what Jesus wants to do in the storm. You know, I feel like sometimes we can get very caught up as Christians, like who caused the storm? Whose fault was the storm? Did God do the storm? Did Jesus do the storm? Did I do the storm? Do I have some secret sin in my life that brought this storm on? Did something happen? And not that there isn't a great set of lectures and questions and wrestling to be done there, but the problem is if we get stuck there, we forget the next bit, which is probably the most important bit, is not where the storm came from, but what Jesus wants to do in the storm. When you face a storm, the promise of Jesus is that he wants to work in your storm. In fact, the promise of Jesus is that there are some things in storms that Jesus can do which he cannot or will not do in any other place or any other time in your life. I know that's very uncomfortable to hear that. But Jesus promises that he will work in our storms if, if we allow him in, if we turn to him, if we fix our eyes on him. And here's just, just three things which I think Jesus does so beautifully, so wonderfully in storms, which he's done in my life, and I imagine he would love to do if you've, in yours if you've not experienced it yet. The first is that storms provide an incredible opportunity for God's power to work in situations. Notice it for the, the disciples. They, they finally, after all else has failed, they turn to Jesus. And like that... Jesus transforms the environment. He transforms the environment. You know, here at Vintage, there's a reason we do as much praying as we do. There's a reason we run prayer meetings and we have prayer ministry nights and we have prayer ministry teams. There's a reason we do that. And it's not sympathy. It's not empathy. It's because we know that when we invite Jesus into situations, situations change. There was a guy who uh, he came to our Kingdom Come Night a couple of weeks back and we just had a, a couple of hours together singing and praying. I just felt as we were going through the evening that I just needed to say to people, like, just, just pour out your cares. Pour out your concerns where you are. It doesn't matter what they are. Just go, go start praying. And this guy, he started praying. And, and he said afterwards, he said, as I, I, I prayed and I invited Jesus into the midst of what for him was physical, massive problem, emotional turmoil, close to a breakdown, suddenly... Jesus met him in that situation. Suddenly, Jesus healed him. You know, it's amazing how Jesus can bring absolutely incredible transformation when we turn to him, how his power suddenly becomes made known in our weakness. Matthew Perry. Matthew Perry. Remember him? Chandler from Friends. 
he released his uh, autobiography this last week, or biography, which is the one you write yourself? Autobiography, okay. He, and this is in his autobiography. God, please help me, I whispered. Show me that you're here. God, please help me. I started to cry. I mean, I really started to cry. The shoulder-shaking kind of uncontrollable weeping I wasn't crying because I was sad. I was crying because for the first time in my life, I felt okay. I felt safe. I felt taken care of. Decades of struggling with God and wrestling with life and sadness all was being washed away like a river of pain gone into oblivion. I had been in the presence of God. I was certain of it. And this time I had prayed the right thing, help. Eventually the weeping subsided, but everything was different now. I stayed sober for two years based solely on the moment God had shown me a sliver of what life could be. He saved me that day and for all days, no matter what, he had turned me into a seeker, not only of sobriety, but of truth and of him. Isn't that astonishing? That guy who had everything, total A-lister, was at the very bottom until he met Jesus and invited Jesus into his life. When we pray, when we invite Jesus in, the world starts to change. The second thing is that when we pray, when we invite Jesus in, it builds the muscles of faith and trust and hope in our lives. How did the Moravians stand in the middle of a storm and remember that Jesus was there and not be swayed, not cry, not be fearful for their lives? It's because they knew who Jesus really was. David, in the Psalms, writes this, Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. I won't fear. I will fear nothing. For you are with me. You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. What we start to realize over time as we walk through this journey of going back to Jesus over and over again is we realize that when the next storm comes, Jesus is still there from the last storm. And he's still there this day and he's still there tomorrow and he will be there every single day, not just watching but waiting to act. Your rod and your staff, those very implements of protection and guidance, comfort me. You know, when we go through the storms, when we build that muscle of turning to Jesus, we start to see possibilities. We start to see that God can move in incredible ways that builds that muscle of trust, that reduces that place of fear and anxiety that teaches us about a God who can, even when we can't. And then the final thing is this, maybe the least comfortable of the three, is that it's often in the storms of life that God grows us. You know, I wish it wasn't like this sometimes. I have days, I don't like you, I wish that you know, God was just a God of Disneyland. The God of, the God of marshmallows. <laughs> the God of just all nice and fluffy and beautiful things. The truth is that God loves us far too much to be just about those things. That God longs that we would grow to become the people of faith that we were always made to be. We don't like, some of us, our theology gets messed up by the idea that God might allow storms to happen because that doesn't seem very kind. But actually, because God loves us, sometimes he will allow us to find ourselves in storms. 
I'm not saying that's always true. That's not the only reason that storms happen. But sometimes storms come for a reason. And as Romans 5 says, we actually can glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character and character produces hope. You know, when I think about 2008 and standing in the midst of horrendous pain and fear and just anxiety about life, you know, there's, there was part of me that wishes I never had had to go through any of that. It would have been a lot simpler. But I also now know as I look back that God was doing something so important in my life in that year. That in fact, probably, if I'm honest, if I hadn't gone through 2008, I probably wouldn't have made it through 2020. Probably wouldn't have made it. Probably wouldn't have been ready to do the things that he had for my life. Probably wouldn't have had the muscles built up. Probably wouldn't have had the faith built up. In fact, God loves to grow us. And we know that. If you want to be a great athlete, you can't grow by sitting on your couch. You've got to go and work your body pretty hard. If you want to be great at anything, if you want to grow into anything, it takes wrestle, it takes struggle, it takes adversity. But the promise of Jesus is this, I am with you. I never left you. I'll never forsake you. I'll never let you drown. I will always be willing and able to work in the storms of your life. You know, sometimes God doesn't just take the storms away instantly. Sometimes he does. Sometimes it takes a long time. Sometimes it takes a lot of wrestling. Sometimes I think we, don't even, we won't even find the answers out until we get to heaven. But Jesus' promise is that he is right there. He's right with you in the storm. And so I'd love us to pray. And um, we've got a bit of time. And I'd love us to take some time to pray for some groups of people because I just have a sneaking suspicion that some of us are probably in some storms right now. I um, have a sneaking suspicion that maybe, you know, some of us came to church this morning and we know, you know, we know whether it's relational or financial or health or family situations or it could be a million other things. We know that our life is just full of storms. And so what I'd love us to do is to just have a moment to pray for, for, for some people who are in storms. So why don't we just close, close our eyes and just take a moment of stillness. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. just where we are, if, with our eyes closed, um, you know, this morning, if you know, if you know that you are currently in the midst of a storm, would you, would you just be like brave enough just to, just to put up a hand so we can pray for you? I can pray for you where you are this morning. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And just where you are, as you've got your hand there, just, I, just, I just want to invite you to invite Jesus into your storm, into your boat. Just start to, start to speak to him about your storm, about what you feel, about how, you, how, you, how you're experiencing the world today. Holy Spirit, we, we welcome you.
We welcome you. And we love you. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. And let's just take a moment, and we can all do this, whether we've got a storm or not, just to invite Jesus to meet us afresh this morning. And it might help you to have your hands out in front of you. It doesn't matter, it's just a symbol. But let's welcome Jesus. Welcome his presence here. Thank you, Lord. For some of us, this might be a brand new experience, but it is simply this, that because Jesus loves us, he longs to meet us. He longs to speak to us. And he often has wonderful, beautiful things to do when we take the time to stop. Thank you, Lord. The prayer ministry team were speaking before, uh, praying before the service and they just had this word which might be for a few of us. This is a season of increase and intimacy. Come to me and let me breathe life into every part of you. Come to me and let me heal you and break off the lies and the expectations that have been placed on you. Come to me and let me infuse in you the truth of who you are and the man or woman of God that I designed and meant you to be. Come to me and let me show you the depths of my love for you. Come to me and let me take you into a place of restoration, blessing and healing. Some of us, as we, we just stay there, we can sense that the, the Holy Spirit is just beginning to, to move in our hearts. And I, if that's the case, just welcome you to just keep going, keep meeting with the Lord because he's kind and he's good and he loves you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord.